The first reading is from Romans 12, verses 1 to 13. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. The second reading is from 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Hello, uh, my name is Emma, and uh, as Justin and as Chris said, uh, I am one of the ministry staff here, the executive minister. Uh, This is my fourth year in this particular role, um, although many of you who are regulars at at Churchill know that my role has been a bit like a chameleon, it's changed so many times, (laughs) Um, but it has been a joy, it is a joy to be here serving alongside brothers and sisters here uh, and um, getting to know God better through his word. And so uh, that's what we'll be doing this afternoon, it's looking at his word and thinking about how it impacts our lives and our community, particularly um, not just 4pm, but our wider church community as well, of which we have a number of different people here visiting as well, which is so, so good. Um, and so uh, 
This year at Church Hill, we have been looking at the theme of transforming hope. Um, and over the past seven weeks, we've been exploring the truth of the resurrection. Uh, and we've been looking at resurrection hope and what that means for us. We've considered what the resurrection tells us about Jesus, what it means for our salvation, uh, what it means for living now, for our future and for the universe. And this afternoon, we're going to be looking specifically at that pa second passage that Ash uh, just read to us from 1 Peter chapter 4, from verses 7 to 11. Intensely practical verses for community. Um, just so wonderful uh, that we can open them together here. And we're going to be thinking about what resurrection hope means for our community here. We are a church that believes that Jesus rose from the dead. And we celebrate that reality every single Sunday. We've already done it. You've heard uh, that already in the Apostles' Creed that we recited together, that we believe Jesus was raised from death to life. Uh, and so every Sunday when we gather together, it's in the, risen, the, the name of the risen Lord Jesus. Now, if you're a visitor today here with us or on our live stream, you are so welcome. Uh, and my hope and prayer is that this sermon will give you a bit of a window into the life of our church here at Church Hill. Now, this message is going to follow a simple structure. And if you have a service sheet, you will see what that structure is. Um, Terry Borton was an American school teacher and in the 1970s he developed a framework for reflective practice based on three simple questions. What, so what, now what? I'm seeing some nodding down the front here. <laughs> um, the approach involves asking what happened by describing the, the facts of an event, so what by analysing and sense-making and drawing insights from that event, and then now what by applying those lessons for effective next steps. Now, although the original uh, purpose of this framework was used to help students to reflect on their practice, and maybe if you're a teacher in this room, you have used that with your own students, or maybe if you are a teacher, you use that in your own practice, um, but it does continue to be used across a number of different disciplines. And so today I've borrowed this framework to reflect on this passage from 1 Peter chapter 4. I think it's a really helpful tool and framework for reading and understanding and reflecting on the Bible and its implications for our life. So three questions. What? We'll consider the context of this passage. So what? I'll offer some analysis of the passage and seek to make sense of what Peter is saying and the purpose for why he is saying it. And then now what? I'll offer some observations on our church community and then suggest four potential next steps. Now it is worth saying my experience of community has been here at church. This is my 14th year at Church Hill. Initially I was at St Philip's at the 6pm service and then about 2013 I think the two parishes combined became Church Hill and I've been a member, invested member for all of those years and then four years ago became a member on staff. And so um, my experiences and my observations um, are personal, <laughs> um, but they also come from conversations that I've had over the last few years uh, since I've been on staff as well. So I hope that that will be helpful. So please join with me as I pray. Our dear Lord, we do thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for your word, that it's living and active and that it's powerful. And so, Lord, this afternoon, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, we pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you will change us. 
And Lord, we pray, I pray that you, that these words will be your words, not my words that are heard. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine that you received a letter that started with these words, the end of all things is near. How would you respond? What would you think? How would you feel? What would you do? If you believed this to be a true statement, then I imagine that would shape the way that you respond. Perhaps you would panic or call your loved ones quickly, making sure that you told them that you love them. Or maybe you'd spend all your money because, you know, if the end of all things was near, then you wouldn't need your money for living, so you could just spend it all. But if you believed this to be a false statement, then that too would shape the way that you respond. Perhaps nothing would change. What you believe about the future shapes how you live right now. The end of all things is near. What you think the end is referring to will impact your response and your action. Now, towards the end of March 2020, I'm nervous about going into these waters because I still feel a bit stressed about the whole COVID thing, about those times. <laughs> but when we'd been in our lockdown for just a few weeks, I remember hearing Dr. Norman Swan on CoronaCast podcast talking about the danger that COVID was to our world. And I actually remember being in my car and thinking, this could be it. This could be the end of the world. Just because it was spreading so fast and no one seemed to be able to get a grasp on what was happening and how to deal with it, how to respond to it. We were seeing images on our televisions and computers and hearing things from afar about the havoc that it was wreaking. It just seemed like the end might be near. Now, my internal reaction to that knowledge did shape the way that I responded. And those who are close to me, family and people I was working with probably know that I, I, went into, I go into overdrive in these situations sometimes. <laughs> Why are you laughing? No, I'm just joking. Um, but it did, it did um, shape the way that I responded. I felt hopeless and despondent. My belief that the end might be near did certainly impact the way that I lived my life. Motivation was lacking and joy seemed out of reach. Now, that didn't last the whole time, but that was just one example that I could think of in my own personal recent history where I thought the end might be near, and that impacted the way that I lived my life and responded. So we move to the first part of uh, the first uh, section, which is what is the context of our passage? Well, Peter gives it to us. The end of all things is near. This is how he starts his letter to the Christians who are scattered throughout Asia Minor. We know from other parts of 1 Peter that the recipients of his letter had been suffering and exiled because of their faith in the risen Lord Jesus. And this is front and centre in Peter's message to his readers. In fact, he says in 1 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Peter has been teaching that the fulfilment of a Christian's life doesn't lie in this life, but in the life to come when Jesus returns. The end of all things is near. It's a powerful statement made up of just seven words. 
and they carry a weight of urgency and promise. These words are like a marker that points forward and they orient the recipients and readers of this letter in the time and history that they are inhabiting. They point to the future and they're intended to shape the behaviour of his readers in the now. But the words don't require just standing still and being um, stationary, but they require forward movement. And what Peter has to say to the early church in the first century has so much relevance to us here today in the 21st century. But what does Peter mean by these words? Well, Bible scholar Karen Jobes, in her commentary on 1 Peter, says, while many readers may immediately think of the end of the world, the semantic range of the word telos, or end, as it is translated from the Greek, suggests more than mere termination and may refer to the last stage of a process as well as to its outcome or goal. She goes on to say, Peter is saying that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his readers are living in the last stage of God's redemptive plan and the goal of that plan is being realised. Which means that almost 2,000 years later, as we gather here together, as we sing praises to God, as we recite the Apostles' Creed, as we sing together, as we pray together, as we do community together, we are in the final stage of the redemptive process because the end of all things is near. We, like the original recipients, find ourselves waiting, though, and I wasn't here last Sunday, but I did hear Rob's message. And he started his sermon by saying that one of the things about the Christian life is that we have to wait. We are in this period of waiting. And waiting can be tiresome and difficult and boring and uncertain. And Peter offers a way forward. So the what of this passage is that the end of all things is near. So that has to impact the way that we live our lives so we move on to thinking about what's so what? So what does this mean? Well, we've just seen that because of the resurrection of Jesus, Peter's audience, which includes us here in this room, because the power of the Holy Spirit through God's scriptures throughout time and history, means that we are living in the end stage of God's redemptive plan. And our behaviour, their behaviour, in uh, the, the readers, uh, first readers of 1 Peter, should reflect that reality our behaviour should re reflect that reality as well. It was Martin Luther who said, live as if Christ died yesterday, was raised this morning and is coming back tomorrow. We are to live in light of the end, looking and leaning, I won't do it, <laughs> but look, because I might fall over, looking and leaning forward in hope and trusting in faith. The return of Jesus brings clarity and motivation for how we live now. In fact, Jesus, in Luke 12, we read that he said to his disciples, this is before he has died and been raised back to life, he kind of gives a window into what it's going to be like for living in the end with, as though the end of all things is near. He says, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Well, Peter, in his letter, in chapter 4, goes on to provide four practical exhortations or instructions that describe how Christians are to live in light of the end of all things being near. 
First of all, he says, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Then he says, above all things, love each other deeply. Thirdly, he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And fourthly, use whatever gift you've received to serve others. These practical instructions or exhortations that Peter gives are signs of resurrection hope in a healthy and compelling community that's living in light of the end of all things being near. So we're gonna, I'm going to briefly unpack each of those signs of resurrection hope. Think about what they mean for community living and specifically for our community. So the first sign of resurrection hope in a community is to be prayer. Look at the second half of 1 Peter 4 verse 7 with me if you have your Bibles open. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Peter instructs his readers to be fully in control of their thoughts and to be clear-minded because prayer takes discipline and clear-mindedness. For the original recipients earlier in chapter 4, if you glance up to verses 1 through um, 6, you'll see that Peter actually refers to their previous way of living uh, where they have he's been warning them against behaviours like drunkenness and debauchery and idolatry that have marked their previous way of living. Discipline and self-control are required for remaining alert and sober-minded. And the reason for this is so that you can pray. Prayer is the key expression of our relationship with God and it, it demonstrates our complete dependence on him. Tim Keller described prayer as both a conversation and an encounter with God. To share our hearts, our burdens, our loves, our hopes, our worries, our dreams with God in prayer is a special gift given by our good and gracious God. I'm reminded of the all week as I've been preparing, I've just been reminded of these words, which we're going to sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. Join in if you want to. All our sins and griefs to bear. Thank you. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Thank you for singing along. <laughs> I just think those words are so beautiful. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit because we don't carry things to him in prayer. So those words by Joseph Scriven are so helpful. But prayer can also be really hard. I know this is true, and I'm sure, I, in fact, I know that to be true for a number of people in this room as well. And I suspect Peter knew that as well. I wonder if when Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, whether he was recalling his memory of the time he spent with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified. Jesus had asked Peter and two others to keep watch and to pray. And after Peter and two others failed to stay awake, Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 26, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This same Peter exhorts his readers to prayer, and we are called to pray publicly, personally, and in community. I'm going to invite Lucy Whelan, who's one of the members of our 4pm congregation, up at the very end of the sermon, and she's going to share an idea that God has placed on her heart for a way that we can prioritise prayer in our community here at 4pm. So the first sign of resurrection hope in our community is prayer. The second sign of resurrection hope in community is love. Peter says in verse 8, if you look at it in your Bibles with me, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Peter exhorts his readers to love each other deeply. And the kind of love that Peter is talking about here, it's not a feeling or a warm fuzzy or an emotion. It's to be genuine love that's Christian love that's grounded in Jesus and directed towards God and to other people. The kind of love that Peter is talking about is enduring, it's persistent, it's tough, it's true, it's sincere and genuine. Peter is concerned about the quality of Christian love and he mentions it a number of times in his letter. And in fact, in 1 Peter 1 verse 22, he says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Sincere love will be a sign of resurrection hope in our community, in Christian communities around the world. Now, what Peter is not saying here is that your love can forgive someone else's sins. Only God can do that through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also not saying that your love cancels out somebody else's sin. It doesn't mean that sin is swept under the love sweeps sin under the carpet and ignores it. When love covers a multitude of sins, it shows itself to be, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, doesn't dishonour, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love doesn't delight in the evil but rejoices with the truth protects, it trusts, it hopes, perseveres and never fails. And it is love that leads to Christian unity. So the end of all things is near, so we pray and we love. The third sign of resurrection hope in a community is hospitality. Peter says in verse 9, if you look at your Bibles in verse 9, he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The meaning of the word hospitality, as it's used in this context and in the context of the early church, is the offer of friendship or love to a stranger. And that definition extends to us as well. The kind of hospitality that Peter is talking about here is not transactional or based on emotions or warm feelings. It's about opening hearts and lives to other people. It's deeply relational. It's a mark of God's people. And we practice hospitality because we are God's people. We share God's goodness with others because he shared his goodness with us. Peter follows his instruction to love each other deeply with an exhortation to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he's added that phrase at the end there, without grumbling. Offering hospitality without grumbling requires deep love. 
Hospitality is love in action and it can be strange and awkward, difficult and costly. But the key to hospitality is to take a step forward and to begin. It doesn't have to be complex. It's about extending God's love to other people, giving a loving welcome to someone who isn't part of your circle of friends, but it requires proactivity and it will also look different depending on your context and season of life. I remember talking, I'm throwing something that's not in my notes in here, so we'll see how we go. <laughs> um, I remember talking with someone uh, probably about a year ago, someone who uh, had a, um, a, probably about at the time, an eight or nine month old baby. And she said to me, I'm just finding it so hard to do hospitality at the moment, to, to go and have coffee with people, to invite people over. And so as we talked and prayed, we talked about what that could look like in her season of life. And uh, even a text message or a phone call to someone um, because that was what she was capable of doing in that moment. And so uh, hospitality might look different according to your context and season of life. But it can be costly and it can push us out of our comfort zones. I think it's much harder in individualistic cultures where we have margins and boundaries that sometimes get, it, get in the way of offering hospitality. I had the great privilege, of number, no, I'm adding another thing here, this is going to go long, Justin. <laughs> um, I had the privilege when I worked in my previous job of travelling to Africa a couple of times and the first time I went to Tanzania and uh, we were hosted by a local community in the Diocese of Mara and um, I remember we went to church. Now, church is not you go for an hour and a quarter. Church is you go pretty much for the whole day. And uh, Sunday school is under a tree outside. You're in church. You're singing praises to God. People being... Bring, uh, it was just absolutely beautiful. But the thing that I realised was just how individualistic I was uh, because people just opened their homes and their hearts and their lives uh, to us and the team that I was with. But I found it so hard not to look at the time and in the end, I had to take my watch off <laughs> because um, I think our individualistic culture finds hospitality hard to accept sometimes too. Um, and it's interesting uh, that I think more collectivist societies actually probably have a lot more to teach us in this space. But hospitality can also be a great blessing and a great joy. I've been so thankful for brothers and sisters over the years who have extended hospitality and kindness to me and included me in their family, looking at you at Justin and Laurel, and others in the room as well. And I recognise that may not have been everyone's experience in church. But wouldn't it be wonderful if the Churchill community were known for the hospitality offered without grumbling? Lives are changed by simple expressions of hospitality. Hospitality that springs from deep love is a sign of resurrection hope in the church community. So the end of all things is near. We are to pray. We are to love others. We are to offer hospitality. And fourth, we come to the final um, sign of resurrection hope for a community, and it is to serve others. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11, if you have a look at your Bibles, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. As with the other signs of resurrection hope, this one is relational. 
It's a bit of a pattern. Can you see that? <laughs> the end of all things is near. Therefore, in community, do these things. Peter doesn't take the time here to list spiritual gifts, but he does break them into two categories, into serving and speaking. Everybody in the body of Christ has received spiritual gifts. Note that Peter doesn't say here, if you've been given gifts, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. And I take this to mean that every believer in Jesus is gifted by God, gifted in some way that will be used by him for his purposes, for the building up of his church. Peter says that it's only by God's grace that believers have received gifts. And we have gifts according to how God has given them. And these gifts are to be used in the service of God and other people. The Apostle Paul makes a similar point in Romans chapter 12, which Ashley read so beautifully before. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. The gifts of the Spirit are tools to be used in service of God and his people, not just to serve our own purposes. The second category that Peter gives is speaking, and he's referring to those who preach and teach the word of God, saying that they only speak in the strength that God gives through the power of his Holy Spirit. The serving and speaking that Peter is talking about is only possible because God has allowed it, And it's God who provides the strength by his Holy Spirit for people to serve and to speak in his name. I wonder if sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that only a select few in the church have any spiritual gifts. But that's contrary to what the New Testament teaches. Every believer who has the Holy Spirit has been gifted in some way, shape or form to serve God and to serve people. The other thing to say that identifying and using the gifts given to you from God is not for the purpose of building yourself up and making yourself feel better. It's about serving God and his purposes. And there's a great so that that Peter uh, gives in this passage, an absolute cracker of a purpose statement. The reason we are to display these signs of resurrection hope in our community, our reason for everything that we do is so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So that more is made of God and his glory and less is made of me. It's not so that I feel good about myself. It's about God. Our prayer, our love, our hospitality, our serving and our speaking, it points to God. We pray so that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We love each other deeply so that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We offer hospitality to one another without grumbling so that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And we use whatever gifts we've received from God to serve others so that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So now what? We're a beautiful, complex and diverse community of people, each with different unique gifts, skills, abilities, experiences, wisdom, insights, and our unity lies in Jesus. We are one in Christ and therefore one in service, one in worship, one in prayer, one in community. But at the same time, there are times where a church community might disappoint maybe because of unrealised expectations or because of hurtful and sinful behaviours or because of broken relationships. 
My observation over the last couple of years um, is that COVID robbed us from a lot of in-person community, but that did not stop prayer, love, hospitality and serving from happening. It just looked different. And I think we're finding our way back a little bit. All the signs of uh, resurrection hope that have been mentioned today, prayer, love for others, hospitality, serving others and speaking the word of God happen in this community in lots of different ways, organic and organised ways. And I'm going to offer just four suggestions for how might, we might continue to strengthen these signs of resurrection hope in our community. So I am going to move back here because there's some actions. I'm a teacher at heart, so I have to do something like this. <laughs> the first one is that we lean forward. We boldly remind each other that Jesus will return. We hold out the hope of the resurrection in all seasons, the little and the big moments of life, through grief and trials, through tiredness and trouble, through joy and excitement, through stress and boredom, through celebration and anticipation, disappointment and sadness, and everything in between. We celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from among the dead. And the alternative, I think, to leaning forward, and I definitely won't do this one because I'll fall backwards, but is to leaning back or feeling stuck in the present. And I think that's a real risk for us here in this tangible, individualistic, post-truth world. Leaning forward in resurrection hope is countercultural, and it's hard not to get caught in the right here and right now. But living as though the end of all things is near will mean living life while looking for and waiting for Jesus to return. And sometimes it will mean being encouraged by someone else because you just find it really hard yourself to think about that and to be encouraged by that as well. And that's the beauty of community. So the first one is we lean forward. The next one is that we look up. We look towards God and we seek his face and we commit to being persistent in prayer. Remember God's purpose for church. It exists for him and for his glory. God designed people not into an individualistic faith, but into a community, community with others and community with himself. In God's plan to renew the world, he's creating a community of people who've been brought into relationship with him and each other through the Lord Jesus Christ. Individual churches like Churchill, local churches, are expressions of the community displaying the power of the gospel and living in light of the end of all things being near. And so as we lean forward and look up, we also lean in. I'm going sideways this time. <laughs> we lean into church community uh, and we embrace it. We turn up to church, not because it's the right thing to do, but because that's that shows that it's an encouragement to each other um, and that God has given us community as a gift for his people. Another thing you could perhaps do is join a community group. Community groups are small groups that meet midweek. And in fact, our 4pm congregation has probably the strongest turn up or sign up rate for community groups. Um, but the idea is that a smaller group of people gather together midweek, might have a meal together, look at the Bible and walk through life together and uh, go deeper in God's word as they get to know each other, have fun as well. I think my group, we have a few laughs, the group I'm in. <laughs> um, and so joining a community group is a good thing to do. Following people up, uh, I think, is another thing that is helpful if you lean into community. 
doing a belonging course, which we are hoping to offer again in the next couple of months, which is a course that if you've joined our church in the last couple of months or you still feel new because you've only joined in the last year, it's a course that kind of orients you, shows you, points you forward in the life of our church. We talk about uh, what we believe, um, what we're about. There's history, a history lesson given from Justin in the first, uh, first one. It's very good. Uh, um, but there are also, uh, you could think about uh, serving God and using, consider ways that you could serve God using gifts he's given you. There are a myriad of opportunities to serve at Church Hill, including care of people, hospitality, welcoming, prayer, participation in Sunday services and many more. They're kind of the more organised ways of serving. If you go to our Church Hill links, which you can find on the QR code that connect to us on the service sheet, that will, that you'll see there a serving form showing interest. You might want to say, yes, I'm interested in getting involved. Or perhaps even just turning and saying hello to someone. That's a way that you can play your part and lean into community. You can encourage others to start using their gifts to serve. I have loved in the last couple of months watching uh, different people tap someone on the shoulder and say, I think you'd do a great job at X, Y, or Z. So actually identifying gifts in someone and encouraging them to use them. If you aren't sure where to start, please talk to me or talk to Chris, who's leading our service, or talk to Justin uh, or someone else that might look like they know what they're talking about. <laughs> so lean forward, look up, lean in, and look around. We live in a city where many people are lonely. This city can be harsh. People in Sydney might have numerous social connections in lots of different places, but few deep relationships. Loneliness has been described as an epidemic. And in fact, what I'm about to say now is from 2018 and 2019. And I think this data is out of date because we've had a pandemic since then. And we know that mental health illness is on the rise. We know that young people are, uh, are anxious and, um, and suffering um, mental health issues as well. Now this study though, in a recent Australian study, nearly 25% of respondents reported that they rarely or never were able to find companionship when they wanted it. Over 20% said they rarely or never felt close to people. It's a fifth quarter of people feeling that way. And if you look around here, a group this size, it's bound to be the case where any number of us have felt that ourselves. Churches are one place where people can find community and connection, whatever their age, their life circumstance or their marital status. If the gospel has taken root in our lives, then there should be more welcoming, more generosity, more forgiveness, more openness to outsiders, more repentance, more Christ-like love, more sacrificial service, more restored joy, and more restored relationships. So look around. Look around for opportunities to extend hospitality to others without grumbling. Make room for people. You could do that by having a conversation with someone who isn't in your circle of friends. Or perhaps you could offer to catch up with someone you just met for coffee or invite them to the pub. We often go down to the pub, although I'm not sure if that will happen tonight. <laughs> but generally we go to the pub, the Lord Nelson, which is just out those doors there, down the end. Uh, you can invite someone to the pub or to your community group. 
One key opportunity for extending hospitality is our City Care Lunch, which you heard Justin talk about just before. That's next uh, Sunday. Dave uh, is the Director of City Care, and he would love to chat with you, as well as any number of other people that are in the room as well who are involved in that. Um, but that is one way that we extend hospitality, and we receive blessing from our guests as well as we uh, serve them, get to know them. Uh, so look for a way that you might be able to extend hospitality. So lean forward look up, lean in, and look around. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Lucy to come forward. So please join with me. Our dear Lord, we do pray um, that you will be with us. We pray, Lord, just as we take these words in, Lord, would you help us to have a certainty about the end of all things being near because of the resurrection the hope that we have. We pray, Lord, that this church will be a place where these signs of resurrection hope, Lord, will shine brightly. Lord, we pray that in your spirit, by your spirit, Lord, that you would enable us to serve you, to love you, to offer hospitality and to pray, Lord. And we just pray all of this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.